Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for ten dollars. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's mulch for just ten dollars. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through four seventeen. Not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on nineteen ounce pots. See store for details. U.S. only. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree, rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. This is Forbes Under 30 on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Goldblum. On the Forbes Under 30 podcast, we talk to young innovators, disruptors, and entrepreneurs. April 18th is just a few days away, so for many of us, taxes is top of mind, unfortunately. Today I have on Skype Jessica Ma. She's the CEO and co-founder of Indonero, which helps small businesses keep the books straight and get the taxes done. Jessica, thanks for uh, making the time. Awesome. Yeah, super happy to be here. I'm excited to talk to you, uh, and, and of course we booked you because my taxes are due, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm petrified. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm going out of my mind because QuickBooks is literally killing me. Yeah. No, I hear that all the time. I mean, I started in Dinero because I had to do my accounting in QuickBooks. I had to sign up for all these other bill pay and expense management softwares and then send it all to a bookkeeper and then send all that to a tax person. And it was just so complicated. I thought, why isn't there a high-tech offering that's simple, easy to use, and could just take care of all of that for me? So today in Dinero does accounting for businesses. We actually do the taxes, so you don't need to hire people to do any of that work for you. I've been super happy to do that for the past few years. That, that was my complimentary commercial-like way to set you up in, in terms of you giving that example of, of what Indonero does. And I, and I do mean that about QuickBooks. It is absolutely making me crazy because there's so many tracks of being involved. It's like if you want to be involved for – for $5 a month, you could do this or you could get just a little bit more. But you can get those 1099s if you do $15 a month. And it's just kind of you feel like you're being taken advantage of. You know what I mean? Because you still have to do all the work yourself. Yeah, and no, I totally get that. This makes me think about how getting into business, um, you know, all the problems that we experience when running our own businesses and just living our lives um, hilariously lead us down these great roads of opportunity to – you know, create new businesses. Like if I didn't have that problem, I wouldn't have a business today. So I'm actually grateful for having that that horrible experience many years ago. Where did you grow up? I grew up in New York. New York Like City? Manhattan in New York. Manhattan, New York. And your mother was an entrepreneur. Your dad was an engineer. Yeah, mom and entrepreneur runs her own clothing design manufacturing company. Dad's an engineer. Stepdad's uh, an entrepreneur as well. So it's wired in you, right? In my DNA, in my blood. <laughs> Can you describe any entrepreneurial efforts? And obviously I've read of a few of you. Uh, I've read about your entrepreneurial past. Can you describe as a kid any entrepreneurial pursuits, successes, or failures that you feel like describing? Yeah, my first success was um, selling trace drawings on a playground in second grade. I mean I made a few hundred bucks from that hilariously. So my mom she's like, how, how do you have – $100 bills stashed away, uh, Jessica. 
So I actually got in trouble for it because she thought I was ripping kids off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so while other kids were just trying to color inside the lines, you were literally monetizing the, the class assignments? Basically, yeah. <laughs> so when did you decide – because you studied comp sci at Berkeley, right? Yeah, I studied comp sci at UC Berkeley and I didn't actually know I wanted to go into comp sci until probably the end of my sophomore year of undergrad. But just through process of elimination, I, I just didn't really know what else I would study. <laughs> Did you have a uh, breakdown? I mean, your friends, mostly mostly men, mostly mostly women. What was it? I had all my classmates who were just, you know, pretty nerdy dudes in the CS program. But I was pretty good at making girlfriends. Actually, next weekend, or this weekend, I'm hosting a retreat for 10 female CEOs. And they're hard to find, so... I'm finding myself having to go out of my way to put these things together to get us to all meet each other. Well, talk to, talk to me about that because when you were at Berkeley, I I read that you used to set up group, like speaker series, like lectures where people would come in, right, and, and oh, yeah. speak to motivate the entrepreneurial spirit among the, the group of computer science majors. Is that right? Yeah, I was great at that. I mean that was kind of my – cheat code way of meeting people who I wanted yeah. to meet and giving them an excuse to uh, hang out with me and do a coffee meeting with me. So yeah, I got I got Chris, who was the CEO. He's still CEO of GitHub to come speak. I got um, Luke, who's a co-founder of PayPal. I got Sam Altman, who, who runs Y Combinator. I, uh, I run some great, fantastic people. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was at the head of all of that. It is absurdly savvy of you because take, for instance, looped CEO, founder, and then, of course, Y Combinator runner, uh, Sam Altman. You brought him in and then you were actually part of Y Combinator, right? You were funded by them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have been funded if I hadn't invited <laughs> Sam to speak. And, and I invited Drew, who's the CEO of Dropbox, to speak as well. Um, Very smart. Very I didn't smart. know either you're of them reaching, at the time. You're reaching out with your <laughs> Berkeley email address, and then the next thing you know, you're taking meetings. Pretty much. Um, I mean, hey, if there's a will, there's a way. So let's talk about Y Combinator. And for the average viewer that might not know that, they, they are an early stage accelerator program, right? They kind of give you the resources to get your company started if they see potential in you. Yeah, they give you – now they give you a hundred something thousand dollars to get your business off the ground, and then they introduce you to investors and other successful founders. But they and take a part of the business, right? They take equity. Oh yeah, they take about seven percent of the business. So it's not cheap, but mm -hmm. also it dramatically improves the odds of your eventual success. So if you run the math on that, it's actually priceless. Did you consider that? Were you was that something that you grappled with the equity versus the connections and runway and support they were giving you in the beginning? I didn't. It was frankly a no brainer to me. I think a big challenge that first time business owners have is, you know, they're really cheap on giving out equity to those earliest supporters, and you know, frankly, that's when you that's when you need the help the most. So don't be cheap. <laughs> that's the advice I give to yeah to time. Well, I appreciate – I want to talk about the early days of your business because 
Obviously, I only know this information because you made a decision to talk about it somewhere along the line. So I can read that that you have, you know, you you spent too much money in the beginning. You didn't get along with employees as well in the beginning. And you talk about those failures because they're what led you to, you know, success. But tell us a little bit about it. What was the trouble in the beginning? Yeah, the the biggest trouble in the beginning was that we launched with massive fanfare. I mean, we had people running about us all over the place. We had investors throwing money at us practically. And I was, how old was I? I was 20 at the time. You dropped out of, of Berkeley, we should say. I, I didn't drop out of Berkeley. I, I actually went, I spent four years in college. I left high school at 15 to oh, go to college. Okay. So right. I actually dropped out of high school. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so we, we were building this product that had massive fanfare, but it wasn't going to make money. It was, you dubbed it a mint.com for businesses and it was a vitamin. It wasn't a painkiller. So people weren't willing to pay a lot for it. And so we were running out of our investor money. I tried to go out for more and you know, they're like, Nope, sorry, but you're not making money and you don't really see a path for how you're going to grow this. So, um, yeah, we're cutting you off. And so that was just horrible. I had a lay off all my friends and moved out of the office and back into my living room and and yeah it's just kind of kind of depressed for six months as I try to you know plan out my comeback what was and we're going to get to the comeback but just to to, to um you know hang out in the depression a little I think it's inspiring to people who listen to this podcast and are trying to get their own projects off the ground what was it that prevented you from connecting with the employees or what was difficult about managing all those employees early on I think the biggest problem is that they were my friends. Like we were really good friends. We hung out all the time. So that made it far more difficult than it had to be. So now I'm friendly with my team members. I love my team members, but I don't hire my best friends from college to work for me anymore. If I'm scared of destroying the friendship, I don't want to hire that person. I'd rather find someone else. That separation is key, right? And and at the beginning, you were more focused on getting the hot tub on the roof of the business, right? Literally. (laughs) It was a great hot tub, by the way. I mean, yeah, we were throwing startup parties. We were bringing people into our hot tub on the balcony. I mean, we were having a blast. But frankly, we should have just been worried about how to build a real business and how to make money and how to build a problem, build a product that actually solved people's accounting problems. And what I what I did to figure out what we're doing today is I actually went to a customer's office and I watched them use Indonero. And the customer said, look, Indonero is cool, but I still have to do the accounting work. I still have to find a tax person. And that's really um, that's really not ideal for me. I'd rather just pay you guys an extra few thousand bucks and you do all that stuff for me. And so that was kind of the light bulb moment. And I realized, wow, like we could actually salvage this. And so that inspired us to do what we do today. Now we actually do the accounting. Now we actually filed the taxes. And that that customer ended up putting several businesses onto Indonero um, over the past few years, and he sold his one of his businesses for, I don't know, 30, 40 million bucks. So ended up being a great story for everyone. Now, what was that like when you, you say it's, it's difficult when you work with friends, and I definitely understand that, but when you fire friends, what is that like? Uh, firing friends, I mean, that that's a toughie. It, it's hard to stay friends afterwards. That's the simple, plain, dirty truth. Um, I haven't kept in great touch with many of these people, still friendly with them. Um, you know, we, we still, I'll, I'll still send a check-in email here and there, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's like a breakup. It, it, 
it's like breaking up with your uh, significant other, really. And in terms of your leadership style, were you were you tough? Were, do you think you're naturally tough and and um, as as a as a business person and savvy as a, as a leader and as a CEO, or is that something that you've learned on the job? I'd say I wasn't naturally super tough. I've had to learn it over time. And it's tough. It's difficult for me because I'm I'm actually naturally a softy. I'm naturally very emotional and very uh, self-reflective. And so, so it's not my natural inclination to fire people. Actually, believe it or not. Um, in fact, uh, pretty recently we went through a restructure. We uh, we basically cut 45 roles from the company and trimmed our company down from 215 people down to 170 or so people. And we really had to do that to get the company to be profitable and, um, you know, really tough decision to make. And I think the fact that I I am pretty soft and emotional means that I could have done that six months earlier with a better outcome and I waited too long. Right. I, I understand that because I think I'm sensitive and emotional too. And you learn that when people are direct – and you can kind of imitate that behavior. It's learned behavior. You get results. And then – so before just turning the switch, you can kind of imitate what you think a, a harsher, tougher person would do. And it's, and it's remarkable to see the results, isn't it? Oh, incredible. Um, I mean it, it's it's an ongoing learning process though. So, um, so I'm still figuring this out. I, I don't pretend to have all the answers for you today. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question because I have a girlfriend – and yeah. she is she is tough and very very smart. And she has said to me that people will say with with women, you know, you are they'll say they'll they're quick to say you're difficult before to say you are decisive. You know, you're diff, that that a woman is difficult versus being decisive or assertive. And it's not it's a double standard with men whereas men can be seen as decisive and strong. Have you bumped up against that as a, as a strong and successful woman running your own business? I'd say less so for me. I kind of give off the take no prisoners, I'll rip your neck off type of vibe for some reason. I really don't. I thought you said you were a softy. I am deep down inside. I am (laughs) by myself lying in bed awake at, you know, two in the morning because I'm scared of firing someone the next day. Yeah, it's horrible, you know. I'll I'll have a tissue box right right next to me. But when I'm with my investors, when I'm with my executive team, I mean, I'm I'm ready to march into war. So people don't <laughs> see that side. <laughs> <laughs> now you are um, now somebody told you that you were a strong personality. Oh yes, didn't they? <laughs> and 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 you coined the phrase, "No, no, no, I'm unapologetically confident." Yes, that, I love that so much. I like that. Who was that person? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got that feedback from a female investor who uh, really means well and um, and wants to see me win. And the feedback was, Jessica, you just got to be a little careful because you know we're in a man's world, and um, you know your reputation is that you're you're really. Uh, you're a really tough negotiator, and so you just want to be careful. You might want to tone it down a bit and um, just make sure you don't come off the wrong way. So um, she meant really well in that feedback, and at first I was offended, but after I thought about it some more, I realized, holy crap, I'm actually 
that's a huge compliment. That's a incredible. Um, that's that's an incredible quality, and I'm I'm gonna be unapologetically confident about that. I'm gonna be proud of that. I'm not gonna shy away from being a tough negotiator, a tough leader who's willing to make uh, difficult choices. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We've already talked about the importance of letting your customers check out and pay with their preferred method. Let's break it down with a specific example. There are more than 200 million people who use PayPal. If you don't accept PayPal on your site, that's 200 million missed opportunities. Why miss out on that? Braintree makes it simple to offer PayPal and almost every other way to pay at checkout. Braintree. Rethink payments. Find out more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. I'm John Horn. I'm the host of Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. I'm here with our very first guest, Rain Wilson. Hi, John. It looks like I'm the first guest on the Geffen Unclothed. Unscripted. Unscripted. Yeah, let's go with that. A marriage made in heaven, I guess. Or Westwood. Tune in for some of our exciting upcoming guests. David Copperfield, Neil LaBute, Neil Patrick Harris, Josh Gad, Rita Wilson, and many more. Be sure to download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app and on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. And, and I'm Rain Wilson, the first guest. You were no, the very this, first guest. This was a huge uh, mistake. Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Huge mistake. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. Advice do you have for young women um, looking to get into business and entrepreneurship who 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 may bump up against uh, similar feedback that people think is is helpful? Yeah, I mean, I think it's helpful to take in all advice, whether or not at least I agree with it. I still want to hear it. And then the key is to for me, I I think the antidote to a lot of these uh, challenges is to surround myself with other like-minded entrepreneurs who um, have probably run up against the same issues. That's why I'm throwing this offsite this weekend with 10 of my CEO girlfriends, because we all want to share best practices, ideas, and help each other right. out and make sure we don't feel alone in this entrepreneur that is being uh, – this adventure that's being an entrepreneur. So, um, yeah, I think I think there are lots of programs, lots of dinners, and lots of events now for other women who want to – get out there and find others doing business. And it wasn't quite like that uh, seven years ago when I first started. But now they're they're all over the place. So I think that's that's great. Do you subscribe to the Madeleine Albright quote where there is a there is a cold place in hell for women who don't support other women? <laughs> I I love Madeleine Albright. I mean, not all women want to support other women. I've definitely found that to be the case where I've asked women to help really? out and mentor me and they don't have an interest or they don't have the time and I don't I don't hold a grudge against them. I don't think it's personal. There are plenty of other women out there doing great things, so mm. just move on. You are I, I there's there's a piece out there on you and I, I it may have been a talk that you gave where you revealed some emails that you sent to your parents at one point when the company was struggling you th you thought of yourself as Bernie Madoff as kind of a fraud. Right? Yeah. So what oh, was the, tell, describe that vulnerable point in your life and how did you get through it? 
Yeah, that that was really rough for me. So basically, um, we're looking at late 2011. Uh, I think we're we're September October 2011, and and you know I got all this fanfare in the media. I raised all this money from investors. I had people calling me the next Mark Zuckerberg or whatever, and a lot of it got to my head. And I actually started to leave, uh, you know, all the baloney out there. And right. I wasn't fulfilling the reputation that others put on me. So I felt like a fraud. And I admitted that to my parents. I sent them an email at, I don't know, five in the morning. And they're like, Jess, you're not a fraud. You just have to be successful and figure this this business out. So keep your chin up and get through it. But we're not going to feel sorry for you. Yeah, and, that, that's what that was taking. I was. It was great insight into your uh, relationship with your parents because they kind of said word for word, "Get over it." Yeah, <laughs> didn't they? They say you need to get over it. Basically, um, I mean, tough love, right? I mean, this is yeah. this is Jewish Asian parenting at its best. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, Just man. enough guilt and, and fear. Yeah, but I, I really love it. Like every time I've had a business problem and I go to my mom, she's like, Jess, like that sounds really hard, but you know, maybe you just need to sit down and work harder and figure out your problems and mm-hmm. stop being, feeling sorry for yourself. And then I'm like, all right, that's exactly what I needed to hear, mom. I'm going to go back to work now. That's great. Now, who is, uh, who is the, uh, the Jewish side of your family? Oh, my, my stepdad. Your stepdad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he gives me tough love too. I mean, I just spoke with him um, an hour before, you know, before we just signed on to talk, and he, he was just giving me great life advice, and I go to him all the time for help. What advice has he given you that you've uh, that's been helpful? Yeah, he's given me some of the greatest advice ever. Um, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that I've been taking away from him recently is one foot in front of the other one problem at a time, stop worrying about everything out there because then the load is going to be too much for you to carry. Um, So what's the most important problem and solve it with all of your energy right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I got a bunch of challenges and I was just calling him super stressed out about everything. And, and he kind of just brings me back to earth. You know, one of the things that's impressive about you is you are so much more than the founder of Indonero. You're a licensed IRS agent, yes. You're also a licensed pilot and a an amateur uh, ham radio operator. Is that true? Yes. Oh my god, I I love having all those other things going for me, and and I, I think this kind of underscores the important point of how your business is not your life. You are not your business, and so when when uh, things go sour and when the business isn't working out. You don't feel like you're a personal failure anymore. Like for me, I think in 2011, everything was just so personal. I'm like, wow, I'm like never going to make money. I'm never going to get a job. I'm never going to have people like me. I am a total failure. And then in 2013, I just thought, all right, this this has to change. I need to change my identity a bit. So, so that's when I went out to get my pilot license, and that's when I started to do more like charitable work out there. Like right. I spent a lot of time mentoring students and young entrepreneurs and um you know i get a lot of fulfillment out of that so that you know i i i have other things to feel proud about even if business isn't going great all the time and the pilot license that's not easy and that's you have to keep that up i mean are you regularly don't you have to get a certain number of miles every to keep the <laughs> license active 
Yeah, I mean, I fly like every two weeks, so that, that's really not a problem for me. Are you flying little Cessnas or what kind of planes? Um, I fly either Cirrus or uh, light jets, so like Citation jets. Um, so you know, pretty much all across the board, but but usually not not a Cessna anymore. <laughs> What's the furthest uh, that you've gone? California to Wyoming. Oh, that's good. Be- Do you own your own plane? I lease. My my belief is, you know, if it floats or flies, you really don't want to buy. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's good advice. I mean, the key, though, with, with the flying is everyone, I think, needs to have a really big hobby or passion outside of their work and outside of just hanging out with friends. And for me, flying is that thing. Like, it's that one thing I could really look forward to to distract myself off of work and for, you know, right after we you know, stop talking and I'm going to go see a, see a friend who's a CEO and surfing is, is her thing. It's her passion. It's her flow activity. Right. And, and uh, investing in these flow activities, I, I really seriously believe makes us stronger at work, makes us better leaders and, um, and makes us more creative problem solvers. That's true. And my fa- my father uh, piloted a bit when he was younger and he said it was so exhilarating and exclusive in that you can't really share that exhilaration with anybody else unless they do it, which I think you could make that comparison to being a CEO too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I-, I think that's why it's so critical for other founders and CEOs to make friends with other founders and CEOs and um, – but also still keep friends in other walks of life. I mean for a while – all my friends were other CEOs and I wasn't getting the right perspective. So I started making friends with, I don't know, artists, politicians, engineers, scientists, academics. And I feel like now I have a better grip on, you know, the world and other problems in my, in my work that I wouldn't be able to solve if I was just in the echo chamber of CEOs. I think that's a really critical point. Yeah, and I was interviewing Ben Horowitz a while back, and and he talked about I don't know if he read his book on le- on leadership, but he talked about the the lying that goes on where sort of people have to put up a face that things are going really well, right? Did you yeah. feel that pressure early on, and how do you how do you treat it now? Yeah, that's pretty exhausting. I mean, the the key solution is to not put up a face, just be authentic, mm-hmm. which is you know what some of my girlfriends subscribe to i'd say most of my male ceo friends do not do that they just put up the face right i right. think that's really exhausting like i'll go to a cocktail party and someone asks hey how's it going jessica and i'll say you know things are really crappy right now just to be super frank with you right um and they're like oh my god thanks for being authentic with me <laughs> now you uh in, in picking up on being authentic you have invested in that in other ways you and your co-founder, correct me if I'm wrong, are are or were in couples therapy. Yeah. Um, so we did couples therapy because for us, we're not just business partners. We're best friends. I mean, we we really care deeply about each other. He's like a brother to me, frankly. So so I wanted to make sure that we we really resolved that relationship. We don't go anymore, but we still have like date nights where we'll just connect and talk about the business, talk about, you know, how his girlfriend's going and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. What is the problem mostly if you had to to look at it from like a 40,000 foot level? Where was the conflict? It's really different person to person. In my case, it really came down to communication style and how we communicated during times of conflict. Like I would 
really want to make a decision right away. He might want to kind of sit on something for a while. He might want to, to beat it out and write out a pro and con list. I'm like, come on, let's just like make a move on this. And, you know, so just like inherent mm-hmm. conflicts in the way we would make leadership decisions. And so just getting on the same page with all those things really helped us out a lot. That does sound complimentary in skill. It does. I mean, on one hand, if there's no conflict, you're not complimenting each other, but but you don't want too much conflict either. There mm-hmm. is a balance to it. So what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs out there? What are some tools that you would lend to these people to say, like, these are some resources they can use if they're finding that they're bumping up against the person that they should be connecting and collaborating with to to you know enterprise successfully? If you're bumping into issues with a potential partner, um, I'd say that, um, I mean, the, the relationship counseling really does help. If you're even looking for one to work with in the first place um, and you haven't like really vetted them out and you haven't had conflict with them before, I would really caution someone into going into business with that person, period, because um, you don't really know how it's going to be until you're actually doing some project together. So with, with Andy, you know, he and I had worked on projects before. We'd been project partners in school, so I knew all about his strengths, his weaknesses, what was good, what was bad, and and um, so starting a business, um, I got exactly what I what I I saw coming for me. And it's about that trust too, right? You, you can't really oh, yeah. you can't you can't just recruit that. Yeah, you can't just recruit that. You can't just put that at a random, you know, speed networking mixer for co-founders. It it just does not work that way. And you have to have a relationship that's not just based on business making money. You got to have a relationship where you actually care about each other. And I care about him, even though, you know, we probably won't be working with together forever in time. You know, he's going to go off and start his own business one day. And, you know, we're still going to be really close friends. That's the type of relationship you want to have with your co-founder. How many employees do you have? How many full-time employees are in Dinero? 170 today, down from 215 two months ago. Okay. Any reason why uh, shrinking? Yeah. I mean, we had some super inefficient, ineffective teams that had to get restructured around. Um, So, you know, we basically cleaned up shop a bit, and um, that meant that we had to say goodbye to – a bunch of people, but you know we're going to hire again for many of those roles pretty quickly. Um, we just grew really fast. We overhired. We hired for some wrong positions and some people who weren't the greatest fit for the business, and we had to we had to resolve that. So it was a really tough decision to make, and you know I feel really proud of myself for having the guts to do that. Do you do the firing personally? Um, in this case, it was a lot. It was so many people that I had a team of probably seven people. Um, let everyone go, um, but but I was still there to kind of shake everyone's hand and to wish them well and to express my support. So I think there's a lot to learn from people when letting somebody go. I think you know it's it's a difficult thing for both parties. So do you have any tips for people in uh, in saying goodbye to an employee? What's the best practice? I mean, I think the best practice is to I mean, other than all the textbook stuff that's out there and you could read on the internet, I think it's just being authentic and saying, look, like. Like, I really still care about you as a person, and I want you to succeed, and I'll make sure that we help you find a role where you're going to be successful. And be honest about that and offer the resources to do that. Um, Like, they might not have been a good fit at your company, but they're probably a great fit somewhere else. 
help them find that fit, offer that to them, and spend the time to do that. Which class at Y Combinator were you in? We're old school, summer 2010. And yeah, we raised about $10 million in uh, equity funding after that. And um, and I really hope we don't have to raise more equity capital. I mean, we're just going to grow as a profitable business, and then we're going to employ hundreds of people while being profitable and not having to raise more VC money. I think that's really the ultimate, most enviable position to be. And the primary uh, revenue stream is is subscriptions, I imagine. Yeah, subscription from doing accounting and taxes for businesses. Okay. So what do we do? But who are the competitors? Is QuickBooks the biggest competitor? QuickBooks plus an accounting firm. So if you're looking at Nanero, the closest alternative is another accounting firm or full-time bookkeeper or something like that. Now, finally, since I've been conducting this interview, would it be possible for me to send you just a PDF of some of my, my Chase Card Bank statements and so that we could cross-reference them with <laughs> income earned in 2016? Oh, yeah. Anytime. Just ship it all over. <laughs> Amazing. One-stop shop. You said one-stop shop. Sure is. Okay. I, I actually might consider that, but we'll, it's not appropriate to talk about that right now. So we'll talk about it offline. <laughs> but Jessica, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcastone.com. Everyone sells today. So how do you bring your best sales game every day? Simple. Listen to the Advanced Selling Podcast on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Bill Kasky. And I'm Brian Neal. Each week, we answer listener questions like, how do I compete against a cheap competitor? And Brian's favorite, because he always has an answer to this, how do I meet with a CEO when they won't even return my calls? The Advanced Selling Podcast is where the best go to get better. Listen Mondays on Podcast One and on iTunes. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.